Hallelujah. He's going to let me finish uh, this morning's message, which I had to stop where I had to stop. And uh, but uh, let's let's pick it up. I'll review a little bit. Let's go on a little bit more because we've got to change again who we think we are. We got to really change who we believe Christ is in us. And again, if you want to know who He is now, it's good to look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's good. That's Jesus. But how he is now, that he has been glorified back to the position of the right hand of God. But now, the second member of the Godhead, the Word, his form has been changed forever. Now he is the God-man, the man-God. He is still the Word, but he is the Word with exalted flesh. I don't know how else to put it. But if you want to see how he is now, you got to go to the book of Revelation and it's amazing to me that it's John that sees him this way, because if anybody knew Jesus, it's John. John was the one that Jesus trusted his own mother with at the cross. He said, you know, behold your son, behold your mother. And of all of the disciples, it was John that, that Jesus trusted to take care of Mary to the end of her life. And John said about himself, he said, you know, he was the one that would lean on Jesus's chest, you know. I've got a friend, another minister, he says, John, you're going to have to make room on that chest for me. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but uh, if anybody knew Jesus, it's John. But yet in the book of Revelations, when he sees Jesus as he is now, we're not going to read that, but you know what it is. It's the voice like many waters and woolen hair and the eyes and the feet like brass and the golden band. I mean, it was so tremendous that when John saw him, I mean, this is not who John remembers. <laughs> he fell at his feet as one did, you know. This is who Christ is. This is who is in us. A word that came through me that surprised me, a lot of them surprised me, but recently, says, and I don't have it with me to read it, but it said something like this. Now, you are the giant in the land. Remember that? I'd never heard that before. But it goes right along with a lot of the other prophecies that's come through Bronk and others, that when we walk into the room, light walks into the room. God walks into the room. And so, before I even get into this, he's reminded me of a little something here. See, I, many of my lessons that I write are to myself. They never get preached, but in a way they do get preached. But here's one that I wrote called Devil's Afraid of a Man. So go, let's go ahead and turn there. Apparently we're supposed to do this. Go to Matthew 8. Let's look at verse uh, 28 and 29. Now this is the madman of Gadara. You know the story. There were actually two two men possessed with devils there according to Matthew's gospel. So Matthew 8, verse 28. And when he, that's Jesus, was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. I mean, if you read all four, I mean, all of the accounts of this, these guys, they, they would run naked, you couldn't keep clothes on them. 
It said they would break the chains, the chains that would they would put on them, they would break them. And it mentions fetters. I had to look that up. Fetters is ankle bracelets that you change, you put around their ankles. They'd even break those. And they would cut themselves with stones. Can you imagine? And howl like animals, you know. And nobody would even dare go by that way because they were so fierce. So these devils that are scaring everybody else, look what happens when Jesus walks up. Before he's like he is now, just Jesus walks up. Matthew 8, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And all of a sudden, what, what those devils are used to is man being afraid of them. But when Jesus walks up, they're afraid of the man. And I got to tell you this, at this time, he is the man, Jesus of Nazareth. We went through that this morning in Philippians 2, how that he humbled himself and became in fashion as a man. When they say, Jesus, thou son of God. You remember in Luke's gospel, right at the end of chapter 3, it's going through the the uh, genealogy, and it comes so-and-so who was the son of so, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. That's the same son of God they're talking about here. What they mean is they're afraid of Jesus, the last, the second man, the last Adam. They know who he is. They can see somehow in the spirit this man does not have a fallen nature like all the other men. This man has the life of God on the inside, and I bet you, can't prove this, but I bet you they could tell he was anointed with the Holy Ghost, you know. And they're the ones afraid. And what he's trying to get across to us, that's the attitude we're supposed to have. I mean, we're supposed to be so full of God and know we're so full of God and be, have fellowship with God to where that presence, when we walk in the room... Devils should shriek and cry out and go, have, have you come to torment me before the time? And you don't have to say nothing. All you got to do is show up. <laughs> well, I like it. I like it. We have that kind of dominion. And yet we're in such a defensive posture all the time. And, you know, this is happening and that's happening and so and so, you know. And we've had tragedy in our family recently, you know, and it, all of that tends to put you, see, you're just a weak little nothing with no power and you just need to shut up and go away and be quiet. And that's, that's what the, that's what, that's the spirit that's trying to, through all of America right now, to every Christian, shut up, go home and be quiet. And we're not going to have it. We're not going to surrender the church. We're not going to surrender this country. We're not going to surrender our families. We are the victors. Preaching good. Just a minute. Good job, Gary. Hallelujah. Praise God. And this even happened before Jesus was glorified to the position where he is now. Because look at Luke, uh, while we're at it, just look at Luke 10, verse 17. He had the ability, he had the authority to put that dominion on the twelve. And on the 70, which we don't even know a whole lot about. He sent out 70, and he gave them authority. Now, again, it's all in his name. Isn't that right? In his name. He sent them out with his authority. He sent them out in his name. And when they come back, you can tell from the way it's worded. They were shocked. Luke 10:17, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, 
It's almost like, did you know this? <laughs> Even the devils are subject. Notice, don't leave those two words out. Unto us, through thy name. There it is. They're subject unto us. Through the name of Jesus. And that's why I think he wants me to finish this lesson about the name of Jesus tonight. Talking about the enemies of, of Christ. Because he kept taking me to that verse that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. That's in Romans chapter 10, I believe. No, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, I believe. And till his enemies be made his footstool. So I started doing this little study on the enemies of Jesus. And here's a sentence I'd never heard before. Without Satan in the garden, or without that tempter in the garden, today on earth, other than Satan, there would be no enemies of Christ. Hear that quiet? That's about the way I was. It's like, what? Well, Adam and Eve weren't his enemies before the fall, were they? See? Why did Cain murder, murder Abel? We'll get to that in a minute. But see, without Satan, okay, so we're going to have a quick review from this morning. At, in the beginning, when before Satan was Satan, he was Lucifer. He was an archangel of the same class as Michael and Gabriel. But he's a created being. It's amazing to me that pride would come to him in such a way that he thinks he can be God. And how the Holy Spirit got that across to me, how, how crazy that is. That would be like your dog all of a sudden thinking it's going to take over your car. Well, I'm just, I believe I've exalted. I'm going to exalt myself above my master. That car is mine. I'm going to start driving that car. <laughs> Can you imagine? Your dog lifted up and it's a, it's a different class of being from you. It, you know, and th th he's trying to get it across to us. This created angel. Yeah, they have lots of power. All right. They, he's, but it's a created being. But pride is so It'll make you nuts. And somehow he is articulate. He is able to convince. He convinced a third of the angels of heaven that they're going to overthrow God. See, I don't care how many dogs go get a pack of dogs. <laughs> they're not going to become humans. They're not going to exalt themselves above humans. They're of a different class. The pride, it's just the more I see what it really is, and how deceived Satan is. He really is crazy. He really is absolutely crazy. Because he still thinks that's going to happen. Even though I'm sure by now he's read the end of the book. <laughs> but anyway. He's a created being. Okay, let's talk about angels before the fall. I don't have any idea what all Gabriel and Michael can do. But I do know this. And I want you to see this if you don't mind. Look it up in your Bible. Second Kings chapter 19. Verse 35. See, we know that Satan was cast out of, heaven, out of heaven because he's there in the garden. He was, him and the third of the angels were all cast out. That was their first level of being cut. Okay, you don't get to live here anymore. You're cast out. Now, the Bible tells us they live in the heavenlies, which is the realm above planet earth. But they operate on the earth and they operate, I don't know what all they do. But angels, just regular angels, have a lot of power. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified is the way I have it here. 
And it all came to pass, for that night the angel of the Lord went forth and slew a hundred and eighty-five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the living arose early in the morning, behold, all these were dead bodies. Now think about that. One angel, one, had the power to slay 185,000 people in a single night. But see, Satan has been stripped of that kind of power. After he tempted Eve in the garden, and again, this day, Pastor Dave has taught eloquently on all these things. I'm just regurgitating what I, what we've all learned from Pastor Dave. See, he was, when, when, uh, he says, when God said to the serpent, of the dust of the earth thou shalt eat, what that's really talking about, he got stripped there of even his angelic power. He doesn't have the power to slow, slow, slew, slay, <laughs> kill anybody directly. See, why didn't, if Satan hated Abel so much, I got a question for you. Why didn't Satan kill Abel? He couldn't. He's been stripped of that kind of power. See, he has to get you to do it. He has to get man to do it. See, he's been stripped of the power. Go to John chapter 8 for just a moment. We'll show you exactly how he does it. And he's so good at it, he gets mankind to do his work thinking they're doing God a service. Saul was exactly one of those. I'll show you that in a minute. John chapter, John chapter 8, Jesus is talking with the religious people of the day, the, the Pharisees, who everyone thought they were really of God, you know. But look what he says to them, starting in verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. And they say to him, well, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now stop for a moment. They believe that. I believe they thought they were of God. I think they were highly offended. What? What? You know? What are you saying? But Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Now, here it is, boy. Meek and mild Jesus, love with legs, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it, of it. Now, he was a murderer from the beginning. Isn't that what he said? So why didn't he kill Abel? He got stripped of his power. He does not have that angelic power anymore. He had to get Cain to do it. He has to, just the same way Jesus is telling these, the guys he's talking to, they're going to murder Jesus. Thinking they're doing God a service. But the, the devil's, the devil can't just kill him directly. He's got to get men to do it. You see this? This is how the deeds, that's a, now, more and more I so understand now the Lord's Prayer. Our Heavenly Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because if it doesn't, the father of, the, of humanity, the devil, he's getting his will to be done. Through stealing, killing, and destroying. But primarily, he's doing it through human beings that have his nature. And they don't even realize they're doing the deeds of the devil. They think it's normal when it's really demonic. See, greed really is demonic. That's not the nature of God. Lust really is demonic. That's not the nature of God. Hmm. What is God's nature? Love. And the more and more we are conformed to that nature, we don't love is the fulfilling of the law because love won't steal from your neighbor. Love won't covet your neighbor's stuff. Love won't lie to your neighbor. Love won't, see, it's the law of love. But these Pharisees and God help me. Don't let, don't let me even start talking about politicians. God deliver us. Don't let me. <laughs> there are certain politicians that think they're doing God a service and they're absolutely a tool of the devil. Absolutely accomplishing the will of the devil. Hmm. But they're ignorant. They're ignorant of that fact. Just like these Pharisees. Were. They absolutely. And even after he told them, I'm sure they still didn't believe it. You know who the perfect example of that is? Saul of Tarsus. Who thought he was doing God a service. He, he was a stickler for the old covenant. And who is this Jesus? And I, he didn't believe in this Christianity. He was determined to, and it says he arrested them. Women, not, not just men, it says women also brought them back, put on trial. We know of, of one, Stephen, that was mur- murdered and several others. And he thought he was doing God a service. And absolutely, it's like John and uh, John and James, the sons of thunder at that time. They were going through Samaria. Now, um, they went, Jesus needed a motel room and they wouldn't rent him a room for the night. <laughs> they didn't call them motels then, but anyway. They needed a room and they wouldn't rent it to him because he was a Jew. So James and John, <laughs> they remembered from the Old Testament, Elijah, shall we call down fire? <laughs> and he says, you know not what spirit you're even of. Neither did Saul. Saul of Tarsus, he thought he was, he thought he was good with God. He thought he was doing God a service until Jesus, thank God, it's possible to have a road to Damascus experience. We need to come to Jesus moment. <laughs> Every single one of us. Hallelujah. And I got to go in a little, little faster. But see, Saul was absolutely under the, under the deception of the devil, thinking he was doing God a service. But what was he actually doing? He was doing the same thing Jesus said here. He was doing the deeds of his father, the devil. Murdering, arresting and murdering and trying to stamp out Christians. Yet, when God has his way, thank God for Stephen offering up that prayer of forgiveness. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Because when he did that, he loosed heaven to go after Saul. And Saul... I mean, Jesus himself came after Saul. Trust me, I don't care how bad your relatives are that you're believing for to get saved, calling in the lost. They're not bigger than Jesus. And if need be, if Jesus has to go after them himself, he knows how to knock them off their high horse. (laughs) And they'll have their own come to Jesus moment. Amen. Because Saul, the great persecutor, became Paul, the great apostle. Hallelujah. The enemy of God became the love slave of God. The enemy of God became a soldier in the army of God. Hallelujah. 
Well, now let's talk about sickness and disease. So, so I said all that to say this. Satan ultimately is the enemy. Had Satan not been in the garden, because he only does his work through humans, there would be, without the fall of man, there would be no enemies of Christ. But as we know, through the fall of man, the nature of the devil is in, in human beings. And that's how he accomplishes his work. He does it through people. All right. What about sickness and disease? Now, number one, to say this, there was no sickness and no disease in the garden. That was not God's plan. Now, look at Acts 10.38. I thank God for this verse. Because this way, we don't get confused. <clears throat> How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It's worded that way on purpose, so we know he's talking about the man, Jesus. He's not talking about the second member of the Godhead here. He's talking about this man, born of God, the prototype for your faith. How, he, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Let me ask you this then. Okay. So, no, do it a different way. Um, so, well, is every sickness caused by a demon? No. But is every sickness demonic? Yes. Because there wouldn't be any without the fall of man. Got that? So, he, he, I'm going to read this paragraph. Be turning to Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to read this paragraph while you're turning there. Notice that it says, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. I haven't had time to do this yet, but I'm going to go through every healing that Jesus did of every kind. Blindness. Lame, crippled, deaf, dumb, fevers, whatever it is. And according to this verse, every one of those is of the devil. Isn't that right? In our modern enlightenment, we have ascribed all sickness and disease to natural causes and not spiritual causes. Now think about it. A modern doctor today. At least I don't know of any. There, now, I should say, there's probably a spirit-filled doctor somewhere that might do this. But the, let's say it this way. The vast majority, 99.99% of all the doctors on the planet, if you go in, if you bring a deaf person in there, most likely the diagnosis will not be, we need to cast the devil out. <laughs> Am I, you see, that's what I'm talking about with enlightenment. Okay? They don't even think that way. We don't even think that way anymore. The Bible does not teach that all sickness is being caused by the active presence of a devil. I'll show you that in a minute. For example, I can't find a case where Jesus did not cast out a devil to heal the blind. Y'all remember once? I don't remember where he did. Okay. But even in those cases where you, there was not an active devil present that we know of, the oppression was indirectly caused by the devil because before the fall of man, there was no sickness or disease of any kind in God's creation. So directly or indirectly, sickness and disease is the oppression of the devil. Now we're going to look at two cases where Jesus healed 
two different people who were deaf and dumb. Okay? One of them is Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 35. We're doing pretty good. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hands upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude. And notice in this case, he does not cast out a devil. He put his fingers into his ears (laughs) and he spit and he touched his tongue. How many of you are ready to follow Jesus? I'm serious. You're in a prayer line. What do I do, Holy Ghost? (laughs) I'm serious. Had me put my finger in that lady's mouth that time. Anyway, took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said unto him, if, if, said that word right there, which means that is, be opened. But he did not cast out a devil, did he? And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongues was loosed, and he spake plain. All right? See, I believe in Mark 16, that's why we have both. Mark, those that believe, they'll cast out devils. Those that believe, they'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now we've got both. Well, it doesn't matter if it's an active, because here's another one. Go over to Mark chapter 9, just two chapters later. Another deaf and dumb person, and this one's caused by a devil. So Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, uh, this is verse 23, Okay, Mark 9, verse 23 through 27. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit. He didn't do no spitting. You see what I'm saying now? He didn't put his fingers in this kid's ears. Kids, it's young man. He didn't do the same thing. Why? It's a different cause. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou, now notice, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And that spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, Acts 10.38, though, says this. Whether Jesus cast out a devil or whether he didn't, Acts 10.38 says, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, directly or indirectly, both types of healing delivered the people from the oppression of the devil. As we grow in this, the Lord's going to have to show us time to cast out, time to spit. (laughs) You know what I mean by that? (laughs) Sue wants that for a title. It's time to spit. (laughs) That'd probably get people listening. All right. I don't know. Now, let me, now, here's a question for you. Here's a question. See, the first one over here where he put his fingers in the man's ears and 
and spit and touched his tongue, well, the man got healed. Supernaturally got healed, for sure. Now, on that case, he might would be a candidate for modern aid, modern today hearing aids. We might could do him some good. We, you know, the, it would help. Okay, didn't cure it, but it would help. Let me ask you this: the second one, would hearing aids help this guy? I trow not. <laughs> That's this is a whole different thing. This is a devil actively present. And all I can tell you is at this point, and I have heard of ministers, and, and I even ha- hesitate to even mention this, but I'm too late now, I already have. But <laughs> I've, I know one minister, because he was going, how do I know, Lord? How do I know whether it's a devil or whether it's a natural thing? And in that minister's case, he would have, the Lord would have him put one hand on the guy's, ch- or the person's chest, one person on his back. And if there was a flashing, if he could feel like a jumping uh, electricity on some kind of vibration, going between the two hands, and I may have this reversed, but that meant that it's a devil. Cast it out. And if he didn't have that, then it's something natural. Time to spit. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Okay. <laughs> but but that we don't have scripture for that. I, I, but I have that man's testimony. He's somebody I, I trust very much. I'm sure that's how he functioned. See, the Lord may just tell you that it's a devil. Cast it out. You, or you may see. See, discerning of spirits, really, the first level of that, when you really have discerning of spirits, you can see that devil, you know. Hey, I'm candidate. How many is a candidate for that? Don't be. You're not. You're the giant. Let me say it again. Everybody went. <laughs> Who's a candidate for that? Everybody got kind of one hand slowly. <laughs> you're the giant. The devils are afraid. They're afraid you're going to cast them out. We have got to get that understanding. We are the giant in the land in Christ. Christ in us is that one in Revelations. I mean, when you walk in, they should be afraid of you. Really afraid of you. Hmm. Let's talk about one more type of enemy. Maybe I can finish this up tonight. Maybe. Go to 1 John chapter 2. There's another. The Bible talks about another type of enemy of God. See, because Satan is ultimately the enemy, but he works through people. So people like Saul of Tarsus can become the enemy of the gospel, which he was until he had his come to Jesus moment. Amen. Okay. But there's another kind of enemy that the Bible talks about. And all of it still goes back to Satan, but it's another kind. And it's First John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. This type of enemy are those who love the world. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. While we're on that subject, go to James 4.4. 4. Talking about the subject here is loving the world. What happens when you love the world. Boy, I don't know if I can find that, Lord. Yeah. Okay. James 4.4. 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Oh, boy, that's harsh. 
Love the world. And what that verse I was thinking of, right near the end of, I believe it's 2 Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote, right near the end of it somewhere, he says, talks about everyone's forsaken him. And Paul's in prison, and he knows he's about to be executed. This is the last letter he ever writes to anybody. And right near the end of Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me. A guy named Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. See, there's other places you can find where Demas is mentioned and said in a very positive light. Demas traveled with Paul. He was a tr- he was a trusted helper with Paul for a long time. But it finally, when it came right down to the showdown, no, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, I don't know any more about Demas. Demas may have repented, come back to God, may, may be in heaven for a long, for 2,000 years now, for all I know. But I do not want to become a person who loves the world to the point that I forsake Jesus. I do not want to forsake him loving the world. So that's a type of enemy. While we're on that subject, go to Philippians 3. Because what causes people to love the world? What causes that? Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19. This is how Gary gets taught, by the way. Tim knows because I share everything with a, in a folder that I write. There's so many of these I've written that never get taught. Well, they kind of do, but they get incorporated in, in, you know, some of these are very short, you know. But this is what you do when you pray and you understand and, and, and revelation comes. I, first I, I write it. I'm teaching Gary. <laughs> or he's teaching Gary. It might be a better way. But then they get incorporated into messages later on. But Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, this is why people love the world. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. What makes them an enemy? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. Uh, I'm going to read that one out of the Amplified, the classic Amplified. For there are many of whom I've told you, for there are many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, who walk, live as enemies of the cross of Christ, the anointed one. They are doomed. Their fate is eternal misery, perdition. Their God is their stomach, their appetites, their sensuality. They glory in their shame, siding with earthly things and being of their party. And you might as well know he's not talking about the unsaved there. He's talking about people in the church. If we had a longer class, I could show you that for sure. Charles Finney, in his biographies, in his autobiography, he says, his, a lot of people got saved. I mean, they had outreaches and a lot of people, a lot of lost people got saved. But Charles Finney said about himself, he said, the primary way God used me was to give church people saved. And lots and lots of people are in church. That vote for abortion, which is an abomination in the sight of God. That vote for 
alternate lifestyle marriage, which is an abomination in the sight of God, yet you ask them, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I have this kind of, I carry, I have three Bibles at home. <laughs> okay. So, why do these people love the world? Their appetites. Why do you think we teach so much around here about mortification of the flesh? Your flesh loves the world, it's going to love the world the next time you're around. My flesh today, now I'm 74, it's not quite like it used to be, but my flesh today, I say, adultery? That's a great idea. We should do that before lunch tomorrow. I mean, you know, my, your flesh has no moral compass at all. It will do anything you let it. I could, I could let, I could easily let my flesh get addicted back to alcohol. Now it would, you know, it'd be easy for it. Nicotine? Easy. Pornography? Easy. Because my flesh, it still has the motions of sin in it. It has no moral compass at all. My flesh likes the things of the world. My flesh still believes if it feels good, do it. And if it feels really good, let's do it a lot. <laughs> you know? And that's why the next one we're going to look at is the, talking about the flesh, which causes a person to become a friend of the world. And that's Romans 8.13, which you're very familiar with. You could be putting a marker in Galatians 5. We're actually going to finish, I think. Hallelujah. Romans 8.13. You're all very familiar with it. See, this goes all the way back to the garden. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. The garden. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. And Satan says, nope, you can eat of it, and you will not die. Well, he's saying the same thing to Christians today through the radical grace movement, and many other churches not quite as radical. And they're plainly saying, nope, Grace covers everything. You can live after the flesh. You can live any, any, well, you know, we're not promoting sin, but if you live a lifestyle of sin, grace covers it all, and you will not die. You'll wind up in heaven. Well, that's the same false gospel that the devil was preaching. No, if you live after, Romans 8, 13, if you live, and that means habitually live. Everybody makes mistakes. I don't know any perfect people. Everybody makes mistakes. But it's talking about if you have a lifestyle if you habitually live in sin, you shall die. Hasn't changed since the garden. God hadn't changed. The difference is now he's empowered us through the gospel to live above sin by putting the nature of Christ in us. You can say no now. Okay. But if you through the spirit, and that should be the little s now, I'm telling you, and I still get flack over that, but Dave was right. It took me forever to get it. Not just from day, but to get it where I got it. It's a little s. He's not, the subject matter in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 13 is not about being led by the Holy Ghost. The subject matter there is you having dominion over your flesh by the new nature. And when he says, if you through the Spirit, little s, that new nature, that Christ in you, if you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Why do you think we teach on mortification so much? want to live okay we'll finish up in Galatians 5 so we sure don't want to live after the flesh Gary if I only knew what that was if, if the Bible would just be a little bit clear about what the living after the flesh is oh I'm glad you asked 
Now, how would Dave say that, you little nasalated flesh creature? Can you tell me what, what living after the flesh is? <laughs> Galatians 5, verses 16 through 21. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and that should be a little s, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth, every time you see spirit in this, it should be little s. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, little s, the new nature, you are not under the law. Now, here we go. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. What? Gary, don't you know it's legal in America for consenting adults to do whatever they want? Because the next one's fornication. Don't you know it's legal in America for consenting adults to live together without marriage? Just because it's legal does not make it right. It's sin. God says it's sin. God said it's the flesh. And if you live that way, you're going to die. No, I won't. Yeah, you will too. Okay. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. You could, uh, that's all kind, lasciviousness means without restraint. So that's all kinds of everything. <laughs> Especially sexual stuff, because it's in the context adultery, fornication, pornography. You could just today you'd say pornography. Okay. Then idolatry, witchcraft. Witchcraft is a bad translation. It's the, the Greek word there is pharmakia, P-H-A-R, makia, <laughs> with a K in it. It's where we get our word pharmacy. It's really the better translation there is drug addiction, using drugs, okay? Now, of course, witchcraft too, but in modern America, I guess there's some of that, but it's not nearly as prevalent as drug addiction. But idolatry, drug addiction, witchcraft, hatred, variance, Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, <gasps> envyings, murders, <laughs> murders. Isn't it interesting murders is listed so far down on the list? Hmm. Oh, surely not drunkenness. Surely not. Yeah, drunkenness, revelings, and, and notice, and such like, meaning this is not an exhaustive list. But it's living after the flesh. See, and if you're really born again, you've got an internal Sheriff in town. <laughs> you've got a, you've got a true moral compass. You, well, I don't know. That thing right there is not listed in Galatians 5. I'm not sure if that's sin or not. Probably if you're wrestling with the thought, most likely it is, at least for you. Because whatever's not of faith is sin. Okay, I'm gonna be, should I, should I have the third slice of chocolate cake? Gary, for you, that is sin. Because <laughs> you know better than that. Anyway, okay. <laughs> All right. Now, see, we were slaves to the flesh before we were born again. That's Romans 6, which we were out of time. But we're no longer slaves to the flesh. That's the gospel. Jesus came to give us the power of his own spirit so we can rise up and say no to the flesh and put that flesh on the cross every day. The flesh is the slave of Christ in us now. So a few conclusions. Golly. Satan, you gotta understand, this morning's message was how high above any other name Jesus really is. 
the name of Jesus. He has been restored back to his original place in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But now his form has changed. He is not only God, he is God in representing man. And Ephesians tells us we have been quickened together with him, raised up together with him, and seated together in him in that same place. That means the authority we have is the same authority he has. Shandai Mahandai. But Satan has been greatly diminished in his angelic abilities. His fate has already been sealed. And the name of Jesus is far above any works of the devil ever. It's a whole different class of being. Jesus is in the God class. Satan is in the angel class. But not just angel class. He's been demoted from most of his power. He's not even a, a can I say, not an angel in good standing? <laughs> He doesn't have his angel card anymore. He doesn't have his angel privileges. He doesn't have his angel power anymore. He has to work through people. Hmm. All natural and spiritual disease is subject to the name of Jesus. All of it. Whether it's natural, whether it's spitting time or casting time. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Either way, it's subject to the name of Jesus. And our flesh has been made a slave to us. So that we can be a slave to Christ and only do what he wants. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? I'm going to finish with these two verses. You don't have to look, look at them. Second Peter 3, 9. He has a lot more Saul's to make Paul's. Does that make sense to you? There's a lot of people out there that are his enemies right now. That he wants to save. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in James 5.7 says this, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And has long patience for it until he received the early, early and latter rain. I was thinking about that verse in the light of Saul. Boy, I bet, I bet Saul is glad that Jesus didn't return the day before his Damascus Road experience. Think of all the people that's been saved since. All the people born with the nature of the devil that has been, that has repented, believed the gospel and been born again. And going to populate heaven now. We got to understand what this is about. Everything we're doing, even even this, the revival we're believing for, is to harvest the souls of the earth. Let us be about our Father's business. Did you get, did you get something out of that, man? I just I revel in that kind of stuff. I tell you what, say it with me again. I'm the giant in the room. When I walk in, God walks in. Christ is in me. Greater is he that's in me than any devil that's in the world or any sickness that's in the world. When I walk in the room, in the name of Jesus, it's the devils that are afraid, not me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.